Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you inside the Brooklyn Bunker once again. Uh, the Bunker had a special guest this week uh, in a man who is going to be joining us today after he's been a little in and out this summer, but seems like he's going to be back on the In the Ring airwaves for the foreseeable future. Back on the planet Texas now, Jonathan Kinchin. What's up, my man? Back on the planet, Texas, as far away from the bunker as possible. <laughs> you uh, just informed me that you had a power outage. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, that is not a power outage. The bunker is haunted. <laughs> and that is probably some uh, some man from the 1860s with chains on his ankles dangling around down there. <laughs> Uh, looking for the ghost of Christmas past. I have, I have no interest. I think it was the guy from Con Edison putting in the new meters, but I like your version of the story better. Also joining us today, the regular co-host of this program. He has been run ragged at the Keeneland sales. Very curious to get an update from him about what's been going on down there. Windstar Farms, Sean Tugel. Sean, what's up? How's it going, Pete? Uh, sorry I missed last week, but uh, we had book one. Well underway last week. Uh, great action here at Keeneland. Uh, still plenty of action going, although we've had 10 sessions already. Numbers look very healthy. Consigners seem happy. And uh, seems like a lot of good horses going through the ring. Saw, obviously, the $8.2 million American Pharaoh Philly, who's regally bred, who uh, is the all-time, I believe, the all-time highest uh, yearling to sell at Keeneland as a yearling Philly. Um so great, great sense of, of of upward trajectory right now in the business. A lot of uh, positive thoughts going around here. That's great to hear. How busy have you personally been? What are your days like at the sale? And I said before you were run ragged. Do I? You? I'm hearing in your voice that you might have the same uh, end of summer affliction that I have. But it, it's called the Keeneland crud. And after about <laughs> uh, ten days going around here. In 90-degree weather, dusty horse paths everywhere. Um, if you got some Ricola stands set up out here, I think they could make a lot of money. So, uh, yeah, allergies are kicking in. We're in a little bit of a drought here in Lexington, so uh, it would be nice to get a little rain. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, Windstar, we've got 11 Colts so far. Um, as an agent, I, I bought four fillies in, in partnership with, with some clients of Rudolph Resets. So excited about those. And um, so, yeah, stay good and busy. Starts about, oh, if you can drag yourself out of bed at these, in these mornings about 6, 6.30 and hit the ground running out here on the sales by about 7, 7.30. And, and I think we wrapped up around 7 o'clock last night. So uh, long days, but they're fun. Uh, you get to see everybody coming in from all over the world and across the country. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a good time. And, uh, so hopefully the numbers keep, uh, keep going for these last two books. Now this sale has always intrigued me because it's many things in one. There's sort of the, the early part of the sale, which is what we associate the Keeneland Select sale, people, like you said, all over the world, millions of dollars flying around. And you get to a point here where it's still an important sale, but, the, the sheiks back in Dubai and a lot of the bidders are, are wearing cowboy hats. Are you, no judgment attached to that. It just, it just becomes a very different thing. I wanted to hear from your point of view. I mean, are you still 
active? Is there still a lot of uh, buying and buying and selling uh, for for you and your perspective to be going on as we we get to the latter part of the Keeneland sale, Sean? Well, if I, if I had a little bit more of uh, a bankroll, if anybody's out there and wants a horse, we still got a couple days left, and we can keep on buying. But as far as Windstar and, and myself, it looks like we're we're currently finished up and wrapped up. Um, you know, for for novice listeners, the sale is six books. It's a two week sale. Um, the way the catalogs are are comprised is you have all of your extremely high end uh, pedigrees and physicals and uh, stallion, you know, progeny in book one, and it kind of goes down the line. You know, still lots of good horses out here. Uh, I think Donato Lani and, and our friend Craig Burnick bought a Medallia Doro filly yesterday in book four for good money. There were still horses bringing $220,000 yesterday. Um, you know, but you get into a little bit more of the meat and potatoes. You get, you get into uh, more of the working man type horses that can obviously go on and be great stakes horses. You know, you're more of a middle market uh, range of stallions and pedigrees. Uh, but, you know, fast horses make their own pedigrees. So uh, you, you look at the front pages of those catalog books, even in book six, and you see graded stakes horses coming out of those books. And uh, so, you know, you see, you see the, the, the big-time agents like Donato, who's been on the show, Liz Crow who's been on the show, Josh Stevens, who's coming on the show today. They're still out here working hard with their team and, and trying to find more graded stakes horses. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a long sale. But uh, there's gyms in the rough uh, every day. And, uh, you know, it, 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 but this is a great barometer for, for the marketplace. It really tells us uh, how healthy the market is because it does have every single type of horse that you could want. And um, so far the numbers are showing that we have a healthy marketplace and uh, breeding racehorses and the racehorse uh, industry is, is a good industry to be in right now. J.K., have you ever been to the Keeneland September sales? I know you were uh, you enjoyed your time at uh, at at the sale in Saratoga this year. Have you have you experienced things on the Keeneland side of life? I have, yeah. There, uh, you can get the burgoo over there too, so that's always a good plus. <laughs> um, no, I, I have been to the to this, uh, the September sale. I've also been to the November sale. It's it's just fun. It's 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 uh, it's fun to especially if you're not there working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fun to just kind of hang out and watch uh watch the who's who run around and watch the hammers drop and the prices get high and um keeneland november is actually where uh we were standing when long on value got purchased that led me to find out that liz crow signed the ticket which made me realize that our buddies at 10 strike were probably involved and when i sent the uh, infamous text that said congratulations can i have a percent (laughs) and uh marshall and marshall and clay responded yes and then i said Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I thought they would say no, but it worked out good. So it's a lot of fun to go to those sales. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy that uh, that side of the game, and I think that there's a lot on that side of the game. One of the reasons we came up with doing this show that can help horse players as well. So um, it's it's always fun to attend. Feel free, J.K., to piggyback at the end of this next question. I'm going to ask you to to direct anything Sean's way that you might want to know about what's been going on down there so far. But I do have to ask you first. You are in a pretty elite group, undefeated as a horse owner, two for two. Are you going to put your undefeated streak on the line at some point and get back in the game? Or do you like the idea of just wrapping yourself in cotton wool at this point and, and retiring undefeated? 
Back in the day, when I used to play a lot of video games with my friends. When you won, you said, I got the belt. And one of my favorite things to do was to, to leave the house we were playing games on with the belt. <laughs> I'm currently wearing the belt as, an, as a horse owner, and I'm not prepared to give it back yet. So I'm going to sit tight for a little bit. Going to sit tight for a little bit. But if I was going to get back in the game, Sean, what were some of the stallions that maybe surprised you? Some stallions that you were looking forward to seeing how they were going to do in this kind of second round of yearling sales after the phasic tip and Saratoga sale that maybe continued to have uh, to be going in the right direction. So who, who are some stallions that, that, that you probably think overachieved so far in this sale? Well, I certainly don't want to call them overachievers, but I do think, you know, this is where you got to see a, a lot of those first year sires and freshman sires. I uh, saw some in, in July, but uh, you know, certainly horses at Windstar like exaggerator outwork spikes there are all, um, really doing well with six-figure uh, averages so far for their yearlings. That's excellent for, for freshman sires like that. But horses that are jumping out, and, and some that I was really, like, looking for, you know, like Flintshire. You, you see his first crop of yearlings out there. Uh, I've seen a couple of nice ones of those. You see a horse like Tamacruz. You start seeing uh, a bunch of, of horses like him, and he has an excellent average out there. He was a good race horse, spikes down to – very good sire sire and um so for for for, for people that to acknowledge those horses and and you know flintshire obviously being a, a turf horse and and people acknowledging those horses and, and wanting to go out and buy those horses gives you a lot of confidence from you know a stallion sales standpoint uh etc so you know getting to see some of those freshman sires uh are always exciting certainly trying to find, you know, later in these books when you start to see some, you know, you can still find horses like English Channel in these books, some some great value plays there, a very underrated stallion, you know, like horses like Looking at Lucky, uh, Mineshaft, so, horses like that that uh, might not have all the, the glitz and glam on them at the moment, but uh, can get you a graded stakes horse. That's, that's what's worth coming out here in, in week two and really finding those horses that are proven sires that you know can get you a stakes horse and uh, just trying to find one of the best one, ones of those. And, and that's why everybody's still out here working hard. I got a couple of questions to piggyback off that. The first one is specifically about Flincher. I thought it was interesting that he's one of the ones you mentioned. Is there the idea that he could sneaky uh, produce horses that will run on the dirt, or is this more of a reflection of the changing marketplace and all the opportunities there are now in American racing to run on the turf? Well, certainly I think it does have a little bit more of a, a change in the marketplace. I think turf horses unfortunately we're kind of i want to call them you know slightly second tier in america for a couple decades when you look back at some of the horses that have that have really influenced the american um bloodstock is they were all turf horses from europe you know bull hancock brought over some of the best turf horses from europe you see horses like nuriev who came over here and and absolutely alleged changed changed the, the breeding market so you know, we need we need this constant change in in stallion profiles, and I do think you know places like Kentucky Downs that are offering one hundred fifty thousand dollars maiden races. Why wouldn't you want to go out and find a Flintshire or a tourist horses like that that were extremely good race horses on turf, champions in their own right, Grade One winners. Uh, I think Flintshire was ranked one of the top race horses in the world, possibly on turf at at one time, made over six seven million dollars 
why wouldn't you want to go try to find one of those and uh, and give them a shot? So certainly uh, I do think the, the perspective on a turf profile has changed immensely, and certainly that is due to the purses going up and seeing more turf racing in America. The other question I wanted to ask was about what metrics a fan, somebody sitting on the sidelines who's interested in the breeding industry in general, what metrics can they look at to get a sense of how a sire, how a young sire is doing? Uh, well, certainly uh, the two major uh, publications or, or information systems, you know, the bloodhorse.com, uh, you can go and, and search Stallion Register. You can search their sire list. Um, and then Thoroughbred Daily News, you go there. They have an excellent research site. You can go and you can look at how every horse buy a certain stallion, how they did at sales. Uh, you can you can sort different type of sire lists by dirt, cumulative, North America, Europe. Um, so really, you can get in there and play with it a lot, and and it and it does show you the commercial trend of a lot of horses, especially young horses. Very cool, J.K. As a horse player. Do you ever gain any signal from the sales that helps you maybe find winners in maiden races? Is there a direct link, or do you just more follow this stuff as sport? Well, I think that there's always, when you're, when you're seeing first-time starters, that um, you can use the sales price, and, and you can use kind of the hot sires to kind of lead you down that direction. Um, with the two-year-old sales, obviously, you can look at the Breeze videos. The other thing that you want to keep in mind is a lot of times on the northeast uh, when you're up in new york you'll get first time starters that haven't been training at the racetrack they're going to be running at often in this day and age you can see the workout reports and get a clue sometimes you have to kind of just look to see well look they paid forty thousand dollars for this horse at keeneland september or whatever oh i guess that blah, blah, blah. you can kind of work backwards from that um but it's tough to get too much from a handicapping betting perspective, but it can keep you in tune with what's going on and uh, what to expect from horses. One thing we've talked about before on the show, at, just as a horse player that you love to see, is the horse selling for a multiple of the stud fee, implying that there was some, if it was obviously, if it was a, a two-year-old purchased out of a, a training sale, that means those workouts were pretty good. If you're going back and looking uh, looking at yearlings, I would imagine most of the time that's going to correlate to a, a tr tremendous physical specimen in addition to uh, whatever the, the damn side pedigree is. Sean, for you, in terms of your horse playing, is there any uh, other particular way you look at this sales data to help uh, translate into winners? I don't put a lot into it. Obviously, the very high-priced horses, if they've come out of a sale or they came out of a two-year-old sale, I may have had some recognition of them, maybe saw them at the sale, been aware of the horses. Obviously, a very high price. Two-year-old means he breathes or she breathes extremely well. Uh, high price yearling means they must be an excellent physical and have excellent pedigree. So certainly, it, it, it kind of shines a light on some of that. And you can use that also on the flip side. If you see one that brings about $2,000, something must have been amiss with it now it could have been by an off sire but that might mean that you know maybe it has a confirmation fault maybe it had some type of vetting issue you never know but uh, the sales price does reflect a little bit and mainly reflects kind of the physical confirmation of the horse you know the high priced horses are going to be very good looking with high pedigrees the lower priced horses uh, could be an 
could be a, a, a weaker pedigree or maybe a, a confirmational flaw. Um, but it certainly doesn't always mean that it's going to stop him from being fast. That's right. We're going to bring in Josh Stevens here in just a minute. But before we do that, I did want to bring in a topic of a horse that we've discussed kind of a lot on this show so far. Dennis's moment who made his return to the races and was impressive in victory once again. Sean, I know you've been following this story since the jump. Just curious what you thought of Dennis's moments win and what you think we're going to see out of him going forward. J.K. and I talked about it a little bit on the In the Money show, but wanted to get your buy-in. Uh, well, look, he's he's by the big horse sire, Tisnow. And Brad, you go the two turns. Love that he's out of the elusive quality mare, a, a very good mare. Gives him that speed, obviously, but the Tisnow gets him the stamina. This horse has every right. He, he looks like he loves Churchill Downs, and we know we know what's run there in, in about six, seven months from now. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, he, he's a very exciting horse. Uh, very excited for, for Jeff Nixon, Total Thoroughbreds, the breeder. Uh, young guy, he's, he's about our age. We need to have him on the show. Uh, he's great for the business. He's from down there in Texas, old J.K. land. And, uh, but... I mean, look, until I see another one go around two turns as well as he did, he's the leader of the pack. And, uh, and, and, and certainly um, the horse that ran second to him isn't too shabby either. That was, that was pretty impressive after his little bit of trouble trip uh, scabbard to come and, 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 uh, and run second. I know he was closing in on Dennis's moment, who was geared down. It was kind of a little bit of like – uh, around Preakness time when everyone said Bravazza was getting ready to pass Justify at the wire. But uh, I think Dennis's moment could have stretched it back out a little bit more if he wanted to. But good to see they left some in the tank. And, uh, boy, he's going to be a tough one to beat, I think, out there in California. A 90 buyer speed figure for Dennis's moment. And, and Sean, your check is in the mail. I'm 10 years older than you guys, so I will happily accept uh, that our age comment. And take the I'll take the years off my life with that. I appreciate that very much. All right, and now we're going to bring in the special guest today. He is the owner of Josh Stevens Bloodstock. Josh Stevens, how are you today? Hey, guys, I'm doing good. How are you? Life is good. We're uh, we're, we're following the chaos of Keeneland from afar. Sean, of course, following it from right in the eye of the storm. Wanted to start off with a very basic one. How has this sale been for you so far? How busy have you been? We've, we've had a good sale, obviously, with the success that we've had this year. Uh, we've been busier, and uh, this sale gets pretty hectic through the middle, but we're uh, starting to wind down now, and I'm sitting out here this morning drinking coffee, watching the sun come up, and just thinking how lucky we are to be able to do this for a living. Uh, you know. But when you get in the middle of the sale there, it, it gets pretty tense. Uh, <laughs> so we're on the backside of it now. A particular high point that comes to mind of something uh, that you've experienced so far at this year's Keeneland sale? You hit highs all through the sale. I'd say one of the high points was uh, getting to buy horses for a new client of mine, Tom Durant. And uh, Tom's the type of guy that'll swing big on something if he if he really loves it. We were able to buy a quality road colt from AP Andy's family. Um, you know, we paid a lot of money for it, almost a million dollars for it. But, you know, you're playing in a in a in an area where if this horse does anything as a racehorse, you've got a stallion prospect on your hands, and that that's a level I've never been able to play at before. Um, but it's nice that we're finally getting to to have some owners like that to work for. I want to ask you a little bit about your background. How did you come to be into the horse business in the first place? It's a it's a very interesting story. My my family 
uh, still not quite sure what I do for a living. Uh, they all, <laughs> Mine they, either. <laughs> we, 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 we grew up in the restaurant business. I worked in restaurants all through college, um, you know, bartended, uh, served, and worked in the kitchen, just anything I could do to help my parents out and, and make a little bit of money. But, you know, my family has always been uh, – big racing fans you know i remember going to breeders cups when i was young we had derby parties every year both of my grandparents from mom's side and my dad's side were big horse racing fans going to churchill downs i was born in louisville uh grew up in southern indiana so it was always i guess there was always a seed in the back of my head um but then i i actually learned about the university of louisville equine uh program so i enrolled in that going into college not really knowing what i wanted to do then once I graduated, I came down and worked on a farm, uh, Margo Farm, for four years and kind of built up my hands-on knowledge and uh, was lucky enough to get a client out of Margo, and uh, that's where I started buying horses. Very, very cool. Do you, do you ever regret the decision to uh, not be in the restaurant business? Is your family, is that what your family still does? Restaurant business is my second passion. You know, anytime we we travel and we go to restaurants and you find a really cool restaurant and you just, you know, your, your brain starts churning, you know, could we franchise this thing? Could we make this thing blow up? You know, but if I wasn't, if I wasn't out prospecting and buying horses, I'd be out prospecting and, and trying to buy franchises. I'm sure it's, it's just kind of, it's, it's ingrained in me. We've seen instances where the, 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 the two businesses do come together. Perhaps, uh, perhaps that's in the future for you. Um, I'll have to ask since we've got you on, and then we're going to let the guys get involved. I'm sort of hogging the conversation here. But uh, your favorite place to eat in Lexington, if you have something to celebrate, where do you go out and dine? You know, we we just went out last night on a, on a Wednesday night. We went to Jeff Ruby's with some buddies. And, uh, you know, after Derby and Oaks, we always go to Jeff Ruby's and Louisville. I don't think there's any better place to take a client uh, or a group of buddies than, than Jeff Ruby's. The atmosphere on a Wednesday night was incredible, you know, but imagine after Derby party or something like that. They just they always put on a good show and the, the food's incredible. We, a good friend of the show is actually a, a server there at the new one in Lexington, hoping to go see her when I'm out there for uh, for opening weekend. All right, I've monopolized this conversation long enough. Sean, we're going to get you involved here. Jo- Josh, I knew you could pick out a fast horse, but I didn't know you were such a foodie as well. It's good to know <laughs> when we're on these trips across uh, the country at sales together. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think the fun thing is, is, is when you get people on the show and uh, there's no – right or wrong way to work horse sales uh you know sometimes when we get around we 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 kind of joke and have some fun about how how certain people look around and it looks like they're just up looking at trees and birds and next thing you know they buy some grade one winner (laughs) and uh but what what kind of process do you have and and do you use a team of people out there is it yourself uh do you do a lot of work before you even go out and look at the horses with pedigrees and and making your short list uh what's what's your kind of game plan when you when you go into a big sale like this you know, when when I first started looking at horses, um, and at first when I first had the inclination that I might want to do bloodstock, uh, was I was having a conversation with Bob Feld as an intern, and and Bob said, you know, the the way you learn what a good horse looks like is you go to big races and you and you see these horses that are in big races and you start to see similarities in them, um, and so he gave me the advice. He said, just go look at as many horses as you can. He said, wherever you are, be looking at horses and be looking for things that you see that that they have in common. 
So when I started buying horses, I kind of took that approach. Um, I'm not a pedigree guru. I can't tell you, you know, who the who the grand dam sire was by. You know, I, we've got computers for that nowadays. You know, back in the day, these guys, they could rattle this stuff off uh, from memory. Um, but basically, I started with the physical approach. I started looking for athletes, um, and I try to see as many horses as I can. Uh, I've got one girl that helps me, uh, Maddie Matt Miller, and she's been helping me for three years now. And I kind of gave her a, a, a brief overview of what I'm looking for, and she goes out and finds that. And, uh, and we work through the barns together, but it's just the two of us. I'm a bit... I'm a bit OCD when it comes to looking at horses. I want to see them for myself, and I'm always scared that I'm going to miss an opportunity uh, if I have too many people out there looking on my on my behalf. I I, I know that feeling, and and certainly when you, when you look down, I think was it over three thousand horse, four thousand horses cataloged here. A lot of horses to look at, but but you never know where the next one's going to come from. Um, I know that. Uh, Chester Thomas, a, a, a mutual client we have, he's a breeder with us over at Windstar. You know, he's been very influential in, in some of your success here uh, early in your career. Great guy. He had a great week selling last week, uh, Pioneer of the Nile, Philly. Well, I just expand upon, um, you know, Chester and, and his love for the game and, and how he's, he's helped build your career. Yeah, Chester's a Chester's a great dude. I met him at Keeneland uh, a couple years back. We were running to Visadero, getting ready to run on on Derby Day. He had just moved some horses over to Buff Bradley, so we met and you know just kind of talked back and forth about the Visadero. He ended up coming to Derby and getting in the winter circle with us. Uh, had a good time, and he finally just came to me and said, "Hey, I've been in this game for a while, but I want to play at this level. This is what I've always wanted." Uh, you seem like a, a good guy. You know what you're doing. Let's try to do some stuff together. Um, but Chester's been very successful uh, most of his life, and he's he's done that by finding good people and, and letting them be in charge. And um, if it wasn't for him letting me kind of go out there and do my thing, uh, we might not be in this position. But he's he's put me in a, a position where I can go pick horses out, and, and he'll take my word for it. Um, you know, so I think that's a good thing for an owner. And he does the same thing with Brett. You know, we talked about the we talked about the past with some of these horses this year, and uh, he said, "Brett, go do your thing, man. You're the trainer. You've done a good job. I got no reason to question you." So he's just the kind of guy that puts somebody in charge, and as long as he can trust you and you're doing a good job, he lets you do your thing. Josh, you you set me up perfectly to uh, to fanboy out a little bit. Look, uh, I want to talk about two horses that you were involved in. One is a horse that if, if I were to get another tattoo, which I'm not because it hurts too much, <laughs> uh, he, he, he would be involved in, the, in that. And then another horse that you have you're, you have running now that I'm a huge fan of uh, that I think is one of the best three-year-olds in the country. We'll start with the one that has probably gotten more mentions on the in-the-money media airwaves than any other horse in the history of, of, of the world, and that's the Visadero. Tell us a little bit about kind of where you know how you found him and 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 what about him and and why he was such an impactful horse in my life the visadero still gives me you know the hair on the back of my neck still stands up when when people mention his name you know because that horse we went from we went from a bunch of nobodies to winning three straight greatest stakes races on derby day my family thought i was like some rain man or something they didn't you know every every year we bet on the horse he's got good odds everybody it was like christmas every 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 uh every derby for day, us you too know? but when, when when people talk there were so many people that just loved that horse 
you know, and, and to, to hear guys like you and Kenshin talk about that horse and, and, you know, the success you had with him betting on him and, and whatnot, it just, it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up thinking about it sometimes. But, you know, the situationally when you work sales, you know, I've always thought it would be interesting to work a sale twice over and see if you ended up on the same horses or the same situations or what horses you bought and what success you might have. Because a lot of what you buy is dictated by your, by your clients. You know, when they're coming to the sale, what they're looking for that sale, you know, you've got to cater to your clients in a lot of situations and, and buy what they're looking for. Um, and the situation with the Visadero, we were early in the books. Uh, the prices were high. And uh, Tom Keithley at Gunpowder had, had asked us to go out and find him a horse that had all the parts but wasn't quite the, the full-blown grown-up man that some of these horses are at the sale. And uh, this, is not, this is not podcast fluff. Like, this horse walked out of uh, Tom Hinkle's consignment. Me and, me and uh, Mr. Keithley's wife just both looked at each other. And, you know, as soon as he walked out, we knew that was the horse that Tom had asked us to find. You know, and it was just a situation where Kittens Joy was just starting to to come around as a really good sire of racehorses. Um, I think we paid two fifty for him, which at the time I thought was a lot of money. Um, and at the time, Tom Keithley had told me that that was a stallion's pedigree, and I kind of chuckled because you know Kittens Joy himself was struggling to make it as a sire at that point, and and people were just starting to respect him. Um, but for that horse to take us on the ride that he did, that was the first group of horses I bought for those people. Um, so that was just an incredible way to kick that off. And now you have, uh, another exciting, exciting horse that I, I even think I probably stepped on, uh, on my own tongue. Uh, when we were up at Saratoga when I told you that you were, you should have run Mr. Money in the Travers, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it, it sounds like we, we, you got a good opportunity this weekend. Obviously I would have loved for maximum security to run. Cause I think you would have would have uh, blown his doors off with Mr. Money, and it would have been a great opportunity. Now you just got to beat one horse in improbable. How's uh, Mr. Money doing? You know, this horse, I think, is the best he's ever been. Um, Brett's done an incredible job with this horse. And when we won the Pat Day Mile, it would have been very easy to kind of turn him back and go into the Woody Stevens uh, and make a sprinter out of this horse. But Brett had the confidence in him and said, no, let's let's get this horse back going two turns and, and let him let us see what he can do. You know, I think he can be more than a sprinter. Um, and he kind of put us down this path, and we've ended up turning into one of the best horses running right now in the three-year-old division. Um, you know, maximum security, it's a horse you'd love to run against. Uh, grade ones aren't easy to win no matter who's in them. Um, you know, so obviously you hate the defection because we like – you know, the sport of it, you know, you want to run against the best. That's what we've been preparing for. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but grade ones are never easy. That's for sure. Now, um, JK made fun of himself, which is too bad because I was really looking forward to making fun of him uh, if he if he didn't already sort of fall on his sword there. But a serious question, I did want to ask you about the strategy to uh, run in the, the sort of secondary tier of three-year-old races and then to be tackling the, the, the biggest grade ones this time of year. What went into that thought process for you guys? You know, there were a couple of things that went into it. Um, we've seen every year these, this three-year-old division, we just hammer them and hammer them and hammer them. By the end of the season, they're just parts and pieces of what they were uh, in the spring. So, you know, from a trainer standpoint, I think Brett realized that if we went slow with this horse, uh, we could have him around for a while. 
the pedigree on this horse with well armed and, and even the dam who who was at her best at four. Um, you know, Golden Sense himself was a was a monster at four. So you know, everything said this horse would get better with age, but you guys have to understand from an owner's perspective, uh, Chester had never even run in a graded stakes race until last year. He never won a graded stakes race until this year. He's in love with with winning these races. He doesn't care what they are. You know, we've all we've all got dreams of winning you know, the, the Travers or the Haskell or, you know, the Pennsylvania Derby, these types of races, but it's pretty dang fun to go up there and win the West Virginia Derby, the Indiana Derby and, and win it by open length. You know, it doesn't make the party any different. That's great. Have you thought about uh, what the future is going to hold for Mr. Money at, at four? You know, we've talked about it a little bit. Um, I think it, it kind of depends on what the older horse division does and, you know, who goes to stud, who stays around. Um, I really like the idea of having this horse at a one-turn mile uh, as a four-year-old, you know, maybe put him on a, on a met mile sort of uh, path. But then we've got a, a lot of money in, these, uh, in the Saudi race, the Dubai World Cup, the Pegasus. You know, the, the Saudi race and the Pegasus are at distances that we, we think we like for the horse. Uh, Dubai World Cup being a mile and a quarter, I think that's still a, an open-ended question. I guess we'll see what he does from there on. But you know, he's always been a horse that I thought in my mind could, could be a Met Mile kind of horse next year. Very, very cool. Josh Stevens, thank you so much for your time today. It was a pleasure having you on, and we will be bothering you again before uh, too much time passes. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Well, that was a lot of fun, as so many of these in-the-ring interviews are. J.K., any truth to the rumor that uh, Josh asked you for some odds against the field with Mr. Money this weekend? Uh, I did get a text from Jake Ballas, and I I didn't know that's what he was asking me. But there's no way I would have taken that bet. I I like Mr. Money. I think that Mr. Money is one of the best three-year-olds in the country. And that wasn't a joke. We we were at a little dive bar in Saratoga, and I had never met Josh before. Did you know who he was? And I knew who Josh was. I knew that he was involved in the horse, but I had never met him. So Jake asks me, hey, what do you think about that horse, Mr. Money? And I just blurted out, I think the connections are scared. They should <laughs> the Travers. Always making I... <laughs> friends, JK. How many sangrias had you had at that point? Oh, who knows? <laughs> that was actually a light night. That was a night we said, let's go grab one drink and go home. And we were playing pool at, at uh, some dive bar on Caroline until till late wee hours of the evening. Oh, too funny. But uh, but great idea to uh, to bring him in. And, and, Sean, it was certainly interesting getting his perspective. I, I thought there was a lot to be learned uh, in terms of how he came up in the business. Everyone's got their own story. And, you know, the restaurant business, I, I did some work in the restaurant business back in high school. And it's a great way to learn how to – you know, treat people and customer service. And that's, you know, a lot of what we do in this business with, with as agents and, and stallion sales and, and everything, it, it is, you're, you're, you're taking care of a client. So uh, having that customer service background at, at a younger age and seeing how that works is, is obviously invaluable. I'm getting a little concerned about all these putting, putting uh, your foot in your mouth situation between Dallas Stewart up in Saratoga, Josh Stevens. I mean, I just hope we have a list of people that will still come on the show here down the road. I mean, geez. But 
But uh, he, he yeah, was I, mean, I was the Dallas Stewart problem. Dallas. Yeah, to be fair, I was the Dallas Stewart problem. Uh, J.K. was the Josh Stevens problem, and we already got him back. So clearly, there are a few people in Lexington we haven't yet alienated. Hopefully, you'll remain one of them, Sean. Uh, so yeah, big week of the racing going on. You've got Mr. Money showing up. You've got Improbable. Um, I really wish Maximum Security would have run because I do think this race. There's going to be a huge determination of champion three-year-old at the end of the year. Uh, it looked like we were going to have several horses squaring off, War of Will being one of them as well. I'm uh, pretty excited about that. Another horse that, that we have that uh, we're going to give a try on dirt is Bulletin's entered at Parks as well. So oh, we'll interesting. See, see how he handles that, cutting back in distance and going on to dirt. Um, and anybody looking for a racehorse, we got a horse called Patagonia in an allowance race at Belmont who's going to be entered in the Keeneland November racehorse sale. Uh, big, good-looking son of strong mandate who just broke his maiden. Uh, anyone looking for a good, honest racehorse, maybe a little stakes quality down the road next year as an older horse, uh, if you want to jump in the game, he'd be one that'd be good for you. So uh, a lot going on this weekend and uh, and some good racing. The Keeneland sale is going to be done. Hallelujah. <laughs> and uh, maybe a little bit of golf going to be in line next week after uh, a long sale. I was going to ask you to do a little uh, equal time regarding Improbable and how he's uh, how he's been doing coming into this Pennsylvania Derby. J.K.'s already tipped his hand about what he thinks about the race, but uh, how are you seeing it, Sean? I don't want to say it's just a two-horse race. Uh, you know, Warwell is obviously the Preakness winner. Um, I think Mr. Money does have a very good, good post draw, um, and I think he'll be able to sit a very good trip. I wish Improbable technically was, was a little bit more outside. He's down there kind of down close so i think his hand's going to be slightly forced uh but i think he likes to do most of his running up up towards the front end anyways uh just looking for him to behave himself uh in the gate and uh if he does that and and can relax around that first turn i i think it's going to be a hell of a horse race all right that's going to do it for this edition of the in the ring pedigree show jk and i will dive into all the stakes from parks this weekend on the regular in the money players podcast if you want more from us make sure to check us out there but for now i want to thank sean tugel and jonathan kinchin i want to thank today's guest josh stevens that was great insights from him and i want to thank all of you the listeners who've gotten this in the ring show off to such a great start really appreciating the feedback we've been receiving and uh, watching those downloads come rolling in it's been pretty cool from where i sit this show's been a production of in the money media in the money media's business manager is drew Coatney. our creative officer our chief creative officer is jonathan kinchin i'm peter thomas fornital may the hammer drop your way